Let us open the Word of God this morning to commence our worship to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. We have come into the house of the Lord this morning, and when we use those words, we think that entering a doorway is entering the house of the Lord when it truly isn't. If these walls were removed and were replaced with a tent, it would still be the house of the Lord. Right. If the tent was removed and we were in the catacombs under the city of Rome, it would still be the house of the Lord. If we were in the forests of Bohemia during the dark ages of Roman Catholic domination of Europe, it'd still be the house of the Lord because the living stones of his children have gathered together to worship him. Allow me to repeat myself a little bit from the Friday update that I emailed you and review a few of the houses of God to excite your hearts about what we're doing. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has had a marvelous dream in which God stood at the top of a ladder and promised him that he would be with him, bless him, and fulfill every promise that he had made and would not forsake him. On that ladder were angels ascending and descending. The same picture that Jesus Christ drew of himself to Nathanael in John chapter 1. That is God's presence and power, protection with Jacob. It was a wonderful dream. Jacob needed it. Jacob was all alone and he was running away from home because his brother Esau had promised to kill him as soon as dad was buried. And so it's a great dream needful for this time in Jacob's life. I want to read at verse 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. We have Bethel, Bethel, Beth house in Hebrew, and El Elohim for God, the house of God. This is the first house of God we meet with in the Bible. Though Abraham worshipped at Bethel as well, Jacob gives us the meaning of its name and how it originated. In its name. This is the first house. God was there. It was a dreadful place to a man that didn't have the intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his conscience like we do. We can boldly enter into the presence of God, unlike our Old Testament fathers who had more of a fear to enter into that presence and who had among themselves at times superstitions that to see God was going to be your demise and death. This is beautiful. It's called the house of God, the house of the Lord. In our prayer meeting this morning in the back, there were several references by several different men to the fact that we were in the house of the Lord and we ought to make today a great day in his house. And I want to remind you of that by this first example of a house of God. Now, this congregation is rather small. It's Jacob. It's Jacob and the Lord. It's Jacob and the Lord and angels. And our congregation is rather small, but we have the Lord and we have the Lord Jesus Christ that Jacob didn't have. 
Jacob had the triune God, God the Father and Word and Holy Ghost, but he didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man and mediator and intercessor for us. We have him here with us today as well. And we have an innumerable company of angels with us. Not just Jacob. Don't think those kind of thoughts. The house that we have today is far better than anything Jacob ever imagined. He couldn't imagine it because he didn't know enough. Do you know how many books of the Bible Jacob had? None. He had none. And we have the revelation of God that gives us all things necessary for life and godliness. After Jacob, we have the tent that Moses built for the Lord. A tent. We're told about its colors. We're told about its fabrics, its decor, its furniture, how it was to be built, who was to build it. Bezalel was the man gifted by God to make that house, but it was just a tent. The high priest could only meet with God once a year, and he had to have blood for his sins, the sins of the people, when he went into that holy of holies once a year. That was a pretty pitiful, that's what the New Testament calls it. The Apostle Paul would say that Old Testament worship was beggarly, carnal, weak, worldly. That worldly tabernacle's gone. David, sitting in his house after he had defeated all of his enemies, realized this isn't fair. I am sitting in a finished home, and the Lord's being worshipped in a tent. I'll build him a house. The Lord said, uh, you can pay for it, but you're not going to build it. Your son Solomon's going to build it. So Solomon built him a temple. David gathered for it with all his might so that that temple would be exceeding magnificent. Those are the Bible's words. That's the Holy Spirit's choice of words. David said, this palace is not for man, it's for God. It's not for me, it's not for an earthly king, it's for a heavenly king. So it needs to be the best. It needs to be costly. It needs to have the best stones, the best timbers. And so timbers were brought from afar. Stones were brought from afar. The gold that David gathered, the silver and the brass and the iron, iron without measure. Gold, the largest quantities found in the Bible for that temple that Solomon built. But Nebuchadnezzar leveled that to the ground, so Zerubbabel had to rebuild it. And so we're up to house number four of God. House number four is better than Solomon's because Haggai gave Zerubbabel the message, this latter house is going to have more glory than the former house. And that was hard for them to believe because as they looked at the pile of rubble that was called Jerusalem after 70 years, there wasn't much there. There were only 45,000 Jews that had come back from Babylon. And the foundation that was there in the ground was pitiful. The old men wept because it was nothing compared to what Solomon had built. But the word of the Lord, the, the word from the mouth of the Lord of hosts to Zerubbabel was that this house will have greater glory than the former house because the desire of all nations will visit this house. And the desire of all nations did visit that house. The house of Zerubbabel was leveled 2,000 years ago by Titus and the Roman armies in 70 AD. But that latter house had the Lord Jesus Christ in it from his dedication after his birth to shortly before he died. He is the one that tore that veil from top to bottom that was four inches thick and 60 feet tall to open the way into the Holy of Holies. The Lord Jesus Christ did that, and Haggai tells us in that place he made peace with God by dying on the cross for us. So we're up to house number four. Well, what's house number five? House number five is the local church of the New Testament. And it's better than any of those houses. Every single one in here can go into the presence of God individually or collectively together, and we can worship God. 
Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 to see how it's described for us to fully appreciate what we've come to in the New Testament. The New Testament church is called the house of God, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. It is called the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. It's called these things because it is these things. It is where God dwells on earth where he meets with his people, where his people meet with him, where the Lord Jesus Christ comes and is worshipped, and where the angels of God attend to our assemblies. Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Now this is not Mount Zion on earth. This is spiritual Mount Zion. As Paul would teach in Galatians and other places, and especially in the book of Hebrews, where he's wanting to educate these Hebrew Christians that had left Old Testament Moses worship to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this one sentence that I'm about to read to you. Hebrews 12, 22. Ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Amen. 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 We have come to something special in the New Testament church. This is Paul writing to Hebrews, telling them not to look back at anything Jewish or anything Old Covenant, and not to look forward to anything Jewish, but to look right then where they already were come to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we worship today, we are worshiping with God, the judge of all. We're worshiping with the firstborn. We have a mega church because we're worshiping with the general assembly, which is already gathered in heaven, the spirits of just men made perfect. We have an innumerable company of angels that desire to look into the things that are ours because they are our servants because we are the sons of God. This is incredible. It has nothing to do with these walls. It has nothing to do with this address or a sign at the road. It has everything to do with us being baptized believers of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, which is better than any blood that was ever sprinkled by a high priest of the Jews. The Lord Jesus Christ shed his own blood, offered it to God, and it was accepted, and we were made accepted in the beloved. This is our church. This is the house of the Lord. Now, briefly, the Old Testament houses of the Lord were rather simple in construction and held together by thread, ropes, stones, nails, mortar. Jacob just had a stone with some oil poured in the top because that's all he could give. He didn't have anything else. In fact, he's going to tell us that when he left home, all he had was a staff and a little bit of oil because we can tell that he poured out the oil as an offering to God. Moses built a, a tent, and so it was held together with threads and, and ropes. And then there was Solomon's house, and then there was Zerubbabel's that had stones and nails and mortar and timbers. What's, what about our house? Well, forget the walls. Forget the building committee. They don't have a thing to do with the house of the Lord. Right, right, right. They're just going to give us a place to meet so it doesn't rain in our heads. And it gets cool in the summer with HVAC. Think about it. We are living stones. Right. What attaches us together? What binds us together? 
What holds us together? How are we compacted together like it's described in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, but by the showing the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, and building ourselves up together in love. Love is the binding agent of a New Testament church. It's brotherly love. He's given us the perfect example. He's enabled us by regenerating us. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. We can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. We unite ourselves together and compact it into a beautiful structure that grows up to the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ with him as the head through love. Through love. And above all these things, you read last night in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. For us to have a perfect church, it is to love each other and to love each other the way the Bible describes that love and to have a passionate compassion and bowels of compassion and bowels of concern and care for each other the way the Lord did for us and served us. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to this end. David was committed to building something exceeding magnificult for God. We love that spirit about him. David did never do bare duty. David always wanted to go above and beyond in serving the Lord because he had a passionate love for the Lord and a delight for him that most men don't have. I mean, most Christian men and women. David was exceptional. He was a man after God's own heart. We want to be like him. So how do we build something exceeding magnifical since we can't bring the gold, we can't bring the silver, and that's really quite irrelevant to what goes on right here. We bring brotherly love. And we commit that we're going to love each other. We're going to overlook each other's faults, and we're going to show brotherly kindness to each other. And we can bind this church together and make it beautiful in the sight of God. He doesn't care about the beauty of a building. He doesn't care about the beauty of the grounds. He cares about the beauty of our relationship with each other and with him. Jacob had nothing in comparison. The Bible tells us that. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that. That they were looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Guess who gets that city? We do. Hebrews chapter 12. They had a tent under Moses. It stunk. There were flies everywhere, dried blood everywhere. It was a mess. There were howls and screams. It was a mess. It was ugly. It was dirty. It was filthy because that is sin and what it takes to cover sin. And that blood was just an exemplar of the blood that was coming from our Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon's temple may have been beautiful, but it was gold. Gold is nothing but a stone melted and applied to a surface. We have the New Testament living organism called the church. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a body, and it's inhabited by the Spirit of God because Ephesians 2.22 tells us this is the habitation of God through the Spirit. We are an organism. And every part and every joint motivated by that one spirit, just like every one of our bodies, every joint and part motivated by one, my human spirit, your human spirit, the Spirit of God directs us. And let's be submissive to his direction today and love each other. And learn what God expects from us in the way of love to adorn this place and all these living stones that make up this church. I thank God for every one of you living stones. I thank God for your submission 
to the preaching thus far in our church history to love one another. But as the Apostle Paul would say, with his great apostolic spirit of discontentment, I pray that you would abound yet more and more. The Thessalonian church was a very loving church, and he tells us that, but he said, I want you to abound in it more and more. Let us pray. Father in heaven, blessed God, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We thank thee, Lord Jehovah, that we know thee, the true and living God, and that we can be in thy house this day. We thank thee for the history of the houses of God that we can see in the pages of Scripture. We thank thee for that inspired timeline. But we thank thee for what you've given us by the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I thank thee, Lord of glory, for thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, after his resurrection from the dead, said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We thank thee, Lord of glory, that we, Gentiles, in a nation far from Israel, have heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves and have believed that wonderful message, have been baptized in his glorious name, and are assembled together today to worship him who loved us and gave himself for us. Heavenly Father, forgive us where we have neglected the house of God. Forgive us for we have come in here in some perfunctory spirit and perfunctory movements and gone through the motions. Oh, Heavenly Father, enliven us today. Quicken us. Lift us up by the Holy Spirit that we would fully understand and appreciate what we have to be in your house. We thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth, that we have come unto Mount Zion, which is above the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the spirits of just men made perfect and an innumerable company of angels. We thank thee that in the revelation of the gospel, we are in the inner circle because we are the sons of God by the death of the Son of God for us. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, be with us in this assembly. Yes. Be with our singing. Be with everything that is said and done. Be with the reading of scripture and the explaining of it. Be with the hearing. Be with the fellowship afterwards that everything that is said and done this day will bring honor and glory to thy son and delight to thy soul and heart. Father, forgive us our sins. Receive our thanksgiving for this great nation in which we live. We pray for rulers from high to low that you'll be with them and lead them and guide them for the sake of your people that live as citizens in this nation. We pray for your churches, their servants, and the saints in them around the world that you will bless them as we have already prayed this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for every good gift that comes down from above, from thee with whom there is no shadow of turning. O Lord, the turning is only in us. Turn us unto thee and we shall be turned. Bless us now, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom belongs honor and glory, blessing and riches, wisdom and power, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.